Hey guys, Giuseppe Santamaria here, the uh, photographer behind the men's street style blog, Men in This Town, and the editor at MIT Magazine. We celebrated our fourth issue of MIT a couple weeks ago with Kit and Ace in Surrey Hills, and we hosted one of our, uh, I think it was our second MIT Studio Talks. Uh, it was the first time we recorded it, so naturally I forgot to press record, and we're missing about the first minute of it. Um, but here's my talk with Leonard Mattis, Eric Nang and Pablo Cipelli, who were featured in issue four of Mint Magazine, which is available now at themintmarket.com. Uh, hope you enjoy. Um, which is about to launch later this year. So currently my full-time role is working with development team, working with design team, um, which is almost finished. Um, and now just orchestrating my entry kind of into the luxury market. So that's pretty much what I, what I do right now. So I'm originally an industrial designer. Um, I started out my career, I was part of the original Dyson design team, designing the vacuum cleaners. Um, the last job that I had, there was a few in between, but um, the last one that I had was the innovation manager at Breville, so developing new products for them. And I started up Chapelli Cycles just as a side project while I was at Breville. And um, now it's kind of an international business. We've got stores in Melbourne and Sydney and distribution in Europe. So it was the kind of side project that blew up in my face and now it's taking up all of my time. So Amazing. That's what I do. And Eric, so? Um, I'm a Sydney-based architect. Um, Born in Hong Kong, different upbringing, uh, moved here at a young age, but I've uh, been practicing for about five, six years now, uh, mainly various sort of residential projects, and on the side, sort of illustration, painting, sort of all around anything that I can sort of get my hands on, really, so um, all aspects. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Did you guys have any ideas when you were teenagers? Did you have a clue that you'd be doing what you're doing now? Like, did anyone kind of inspire you? And I know your, your mom was um, a hairdresser. Did that kind of influence you in kind of getting into this? You were also in the cadets, so it's like two yeah. extremes there. <coughs> How did that work? Well, I think, I mean, my mom wasn't a hairdresser by trade. She just happened to know how to perm people's hair and cut it. So <laughs> friends used to come around and mum used to kind of do their hair, but I, I didn't grow up thinking that I was going to be a hairdresser. Um, but I guess, I mean, when you're in school and it's the academic system, you you know, if you're good at maths, you tend to kind of move in one direction. If you're good at English, you tend to move in the other direction. So at school, I was moving into into business, um, but it wasn't until I dropped out of uni that I decided that hairdressing was kind of starting to reveal itself as, as, as a passion. Um, so there wasn't much interest in regards to hair in my childhood. It was purely mainly um, the, the secret stuff that I was doing and um, the academic stuff that I was doing. I know your your dad was a cyclist, so that kind of must have been something that's been always kind of there in your world. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't ever think I would end up in a cycling with a cycling business. Um, my dad taught me a hell of a lot of stuff about how to be practical. I used to restore classic cars with him and just build stuff, and um, that's what got me into design and industrial design. Um, did, did formal training play a part at all in kind of what you guys do? Did you go? For, for me it was pretty straightforward. I just loved building stuff and designing stuff. I decided that I wanted to study 
um, industrial design at uni. Mm. I left uni and got a job as an industrial designer with Dyson, so it all pretty much, <laughs> I knew what I wanted to do from, yeah. from about the age of 13, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Right. Yeah. And Leonard, you went to school for business, so I guess that you have that talent and then you, you kind of want to know how to sell it. Is that kind of the way, reason why you kind of went to, to school for business, or was that kind of something that you thought of afterwards? Yeah, I think first time round, I was at uni first time round in London and I was studying business, but I'd moved from the east to the west um, and was going clubbing a lot more than what I was going to classes. Um, <laughs> so I dropped out of uni first time round um, and just, you know, had six months of just basically just going clubbing and having a good time and just enjoying the West End culture. Um, and then hairdressing, I kind of fell into by, by accident. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't go back to, to education after that. It was purely just on the job training. And it's not until recently I've, I've gone back to uni to study business again. But in relation to what I'm doing with my product line, it seems like it's a nice, a nice fit works, at, yeah. at, at the moment. Yeah. But there was no, there was doing no intention in regards to the first time round. I was going to go into business. It was purely just that was a natural thing to do after school. You yeah. know, was to go to uni. I knew the kind of creative role that I wanted to play within a business. Um, but I knew as a hairdresser. I wasn't going to be offered that role um, unless I had my own business. So I think it wasn't like the idea that I could see myself playing this role and that I, it wasn't on offer for me, so I had to create it myself. And I think that's kind of happened throughout the transitions of the businesses that, you know, that my role now has moved on from salon owner to creative director and, and design in the range. Um, and so again, I'm inspiring myself to take on different roles because that's kind of where I see myself going. Um, so I think it, it is a matter of if it's, if it's not on offer, I, I take the steps to kind of create that or to build a network that kind of inspires me to kind of um, build that part of what I do. Awesome. Yeah. Pablo, for you, it's creating bikes seems like, you know, you're an industrial designer, sure, but it probably would have been easy to kind of go work for a bigger company. Why sure. decide to kind of just do your own after you didn't have any experience on doing your own stuff? So what kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I worked for a lot of big companies and, and done a lot of manufacturing overseas um, and that experience just gave me the confidence to give it a crack myself. Yeah. I, I wasn't really expecting it to become what it has um, but it's just way nicer not working for a big company and working for yourself really. So, um, What are the challenges yeah. that you kind of found doing that in Australia surely there would have to been some do you know what it's actually pretty easy setting yeah. up a business in Australia um, the government helps you a lot we get a lot of grants for product development and the rest of that um, but the main thing is that everyone just gets behind you you tell people about your idea and everyone's like yeah what can I do to help and and that's great if, if you do that in Europe you say oh, I've got this great idea people say or who are you? Why should you be doing that? You know, whereas in Australia, it's such a young country that, you know, it's just got a very different energy about it. So, there's so many places around the world that just there's so many of the same products. Where Australia, it's probably more likely that there isn't. Exactly. What you want yeah. to do, so. Well, there's less competition for yeah. sure. And it's still kind of targeting the world. You're not just doing exclusively Australia. Well, How did you kind of expand into um, a global? People market? just approached us, um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I think also, globally, people, you know, want fun brands, you know, from Australia. Um, Australian brands do pretty well globally. So, um, you know, if you've 
built your brand around a lifestyle, say in Bondi and Surrey Hills, and you know it's got a kind of different energy to it yeah, right. than if it was designed in London. Yeah, know. and that translates. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Do you guys find what do you think of social media and kind of has that helped all of you guys in kind of getting your work out there, Eric? I know you've done uh, exhibitions and stuff in Sydney, but have you found an audience kind of globally? Um, has it been a good thing, media. a bad thing? I don't know. It's a double-edged sword, I think. I think you're, you're exposed constantly <coughs> to, to you know, what, what used to be a very limited sort of avenue you might, you might see through a blog page or magazines. You know, it's quite curated. I suppose social media sort of opens that can of worm wide open. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think there is, it is a double-edged sword. You, you can get overwhelmed or you can choose to just pick your... <laughs> pick your pick your pick your um your inspiration, or even just find people that that shares a similar aesthetic, yeah. and and really sort of build on that. Um, it's yeah. End up. I mean, I I agree on that. I I definitely kind of owe it to. Um, I use Tumblr as my platform for the blog, and you know, over the last five six years, I've gathered a big following there. And if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have been able to start the magazine or kind of get those experiences elsewhere, you know, because there's an audience that could yeah. give something to, you know. Um, Leonard, are you finding that kind of just in the way that you're trying to get your brand out there? Are you taking advantage of social media? Is yeah. it something you want to stay away from? I, mean, I, can, I, have, I have very strong views on social media. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure on brands to engage in social media. Um, that, you know, you've got to put out great content. You've got to pump out content every few days. But um, I don't view it that way. Um, I don't post for likes. I, I see it as a personal experience that I have with, with the brand and getting it out there. But there are some of the biggest brands in the world don't use social media, but they still have a very big social media presence. So, that, you know, there could be a conversation that we have about, you know, you can still be on social media and not pump it so hard and it still works for you because if it gets in the right hands and it starts moving on its own, it's going to work anyway. Yeah. So I, I view my social media, there's not a lot of pressure on it. I view it as something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, I enjoy engaging with the followers, but I don't put a lot of pressure in regards to pushing the brand out there through social media because yeah. it starts to happen on its own. And I th yeah, I think that's the natural kind of approach is that don't put so much pressure that your company is solely based on that yeah. kind of element. Yeah. You started doing these uh, personal essays that you're kind of doing through your website. Mm. Is that something that is you find a little bit different to kind of try to engage with your audience and try to set the tone for the brand? You're, you're just... People that know he's creating a, a hairline um, collection basically coming out later this year. Mm. Uh, so it's an extension from your salon. So, um, yeah, how are you doing that to kind of expand? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at Sydney Uni at the moment. We just finished the leadership module and we had to do an essay on the future of leadership and what that entailed. And I guess I've been posting a little bit about that on my social media lately and noticed that my likes <laughs> tend to drop down pretty quickly. <laughs> so people just don't, are not interested in reading content. Um, and again, it goes back to, to <coughs> I post. It was post personally for me to kind of do those posts. Um, but at, at the same time, I think as, as brands are becoming more authentic and as, as you were saying before, there's a story that has to be told or people are starting to relate to. Um, I'm starting to feel like it's, it's more than just an image. It's more than just a brand. I think when you start to have a deeper message behind what you do. Um, personally, I just feel that's the future of, of, of business. It's, it's more than just a visual. There's a purpose that's driven kind of behind it. Yeah. And I think that's why I've changed my content slightly and started to tell the story of, of what it is that drives me or what it is that drives my creativity or my process. 
because um, even if it's not being liked, I still know it's being seen. Right. Um, so yeah, I, th I think the words are an important thing for me at the moment. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a cliche question, but what do you guys kind of do to, <coughs> to stay inspired, to kind of stay ahead of the game in, in your field? Um, what's the creative process like for you guys, Eric? Um, I think I'd really look outside of what, you, I mean, again, cliche, but you know, what you do, it, it, it's a sum of all the experience that you have. Um, and especially, I can sort of relate in, in, in architecture that you don't just, for example, you don't look at uh, just buildings. I mean, yeah, right. it, it's so much about the, the human qualities and how, how people use the space and, and how, how the, the inside and outside relate. And I mean, this happens on a, on a daily basis, you know, whether you like it or not, like that, that sort of experience, I think. So really, so looking at just, just outside of that, what, what else really, so you can filter back in, um, so you can find, find them everywhere. Awesome. How about you, Lenny? Um, I think there, there are probably two places for me where my inspiration kind of comes from. So, I mean, anything and everything kind of in the industry, it's wherever I go, I'm, I'm quite observant. So, you know, you're kind of someone's shoes, someone's jacket, some, some building, I'm always going to be inspired. Um, and the other thing is, is my imagination, I think. Um, I meditate twice a day. When I get the time, I do it twice a day anyway. But I think most of my ideas come through moments of where I'm quite quiet and quite still. Um, and I think David Lynch says that quite often is that um, during his moments of meditation is when he catches the big fish. And I think ideas are plenty. And I think when you've got a busy mind and a busy life, the ideas kind of get lost. So I think when you create space, for me, most of my inspiration comes from that. Because I think when you've got that space, there are a lot of ideas. And it's just a matter of picking the ones that resonate or the ones that kind of feel true for you. Awesome. Mm. Paula, how about yourself when you just kind of, you have family as well that you kind of want to balance how do you mm -hmm. kind of balance it all together and make sure that you kind of are on top of the game and business as well as well um well i mean for me my family's um really understanding so so <laughs> That's good um i mean going back to your original question the really important thing for me is just to allow myself to get into whatever i feel like getting into at that particular time so if I'm into 50s film stars cars from Italy yeah. I'll just go and buy one and restore it or whatever you know like or and just allow myself not think oh what I should be working on is this project over here yeah, but right. my head's over here so I just let myself rip and I know that I'll work 100 times harder on that than I will on that so yeah. I just allow myself to drift into whatever I'm into. Right now it's like 1940s gentlemen's cruiser boats. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I'm just like so into that at the moment and yeah, right. loving it. So unfortunately my family's kind of realises that you should just let me go on with it. Because, <laughs> and, and they normally enjoy the ride as well. Yeah. So. You get something out of it. Everyone gets so, something out of it. In yeah, the end. No, that, that's really my thing is just allowing myself to go with my heart and, and just get stuck into whatever I'm into at the time. I, I just, I love old things with a story and that's where I kind of get the inspiration for the brand, you know. Um, so, like we restored an old church in the countryside um, and this is my daughter Lulu here. <laughs> Making an appearance. Hey Lulu, say hi. Say hello everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
<laughs> have you built a bike for her? Yes. Yeah, there you go. What colour's your bike? Red. <laughs> oh, very nice. Um, so, yeah, no, I just, I just love, in, you know, all of my, the bike designs have, have referenced stuff that's happened in the past. So right. it's just understanding why things are the way they are and then moving them forward but not forgetting where they've come from. Right. And, and that's what really inspires me, you know, in buildings, cars, boats, bicycles. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I just love things that tell a story have got yeah. a soul and that's what I try and do with my products um, any pieces kind of to end it off any pieces of advice that you guys have kind of heard or kind of had told to you that has kind of stuck with you over the years kind of in career or in life anything that kind of has resonated um, yeah I mean I think it goes back to what we were talking about before is, is to um, just to trust that feeling I think your intuition is Especially with, with creativity, when it when it's when it's knocking, just to pay attention. You know, sometimes it might take a few months for you to actually make the steps, or sometimes it takes longer. But just listen to what's where where that urge is pulling you or pushing you to, and just just pay attention to that feeling. Uh, any questions from anyone else? Kind of for the guys. Um, just a question for Paul. Like, as your business scales, do you find that you have less time to be creative and make, and is that something that you're worried about as your business scales? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. Um, I. What happened is that we grew the bat business really quickly, and we had a shop in Brizzy, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney. Um, we were expanding overseas, and I found that I was just doing a lot more admin kind of work, or, or just sales and and developing new territories, and and I realised that I um, lost. <laughs> I I'd actually wasn't doing the stuff that I love doing so this year I've actually um, stepped back from and brought other people into the business to take over the stuff that I just didn't enjoy doing you know I was just waking up in the morning and going I don't want to be doing that part of the business I actually want to be doing the cool creative stuff so um, we've actually set up a basically a bike development studio and this year, you know, it's only been going for three months and I've got an industrial designer working with me. Um, and, you know, we're just spending heaps of time doing the stuff that I love again. And, and it, it was really difficult to actually get to that place because, um, you know, it's always, there's always more important things to do than developing new products and you've probably found that as well. You know. um, but I've just had to be quite disciplined about it and said, right, two days a week, me and Jerry, we're going to be designing the sickest new bikes ever, and um, that's what we're doing. And, and it feels really good to be doing that, and it's important for the business. You, know? you need to have innovation and new product to keep your business fresh and, and moving forward. So, yeah. The magazine you're quoted as wanting to create your wet dream of a bike, and that's what you kind of want to do. <laughs> Yeah, you go for that. That's what we, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Paolo, and sorry if this is a boring question, but um, are there any big, for lack of a better word, lessons or experiences you took from Dyson through your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
one thing that immediately springs to mind, like James Dyson, I work really closely with him, and um, he, he was like an incredible guy. Um, just He just had this knack of knowing, he'll just say to you, oh, to solve that problem, try this. And you try it and it would work. And everyone would have the same experience. So it was, he, he was just, he's just like super clever. Um, but there was a couple of things that he did to get where he got that have really stayed with me. Um, and I use in, in, in my business too. The first thing is um, build prototypes. Um, don't just come up with ideas, talk about them and get on your computer and try and design it. Build a bloody prototype, you know, and you'll learn a thousand times more from from just actually getting your hands dirty. So I actually spend more of my time building stuff than I do designing stuff these days because I find it's just, A, it's more fun, but it's actually, it, it moves you forward much quicker. Um, so that, that was probably one of the main things. And then also the way that he would just take one technology and then put it into a completely different type of product. So his vacuum cleaners, um, the original idea he saw, um, there was a sawmill, so there was lots of dust being created where they're sawing the timber. And they put it into a cyclone to separate it from the air to the dust. And he said, oh, well, we should you put that into a scale it down, put it into a vacuum cleaner. Wallop is the... 10th richest man in the UK and, and so I've also done that as well as so I'm always looking for new technology I saw this um, something called a CVT gearbox which is um, a constantly variable drivetrain gearbox so in most gearboxes you kind of go first, <coughs> second third, fourth, fifth, with this you can just smoothly go from first to sixth but there's no steps in between and I was at this trade show in Shanghai about five years ago. And they developed this technology for an electric bike. And I was riding this thing around going, wow, this is a game changer. You know, the, why are they just developing this for electric bikes? So I got chatting to this company and said, look, you've got to give me one of those gearboxes. I'm going to take it back to Sydney. I'm going to have this in production in six months. Um, I said, yeah, but it's not for normal bikes, it's only for electric bikes. So I was like, look, just give me one. I promise you, like, this, I'm going to take this somewhere else. And they just gave me a sample there and then because they believed in what I was saying. And within, like, 12 months, we'd won the whole of the Australian International Design Awards with that product. And, um, um, yeah, it was just... I just love that kind of, you know, being able to kind of be open-minded enough that you can sort of take one thing from one place and stick it somewhere else. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for sharing your stories. Um, you. Hope you enjoyed.